happy, how we find happiness. Because, you know what? What even is it? What is happiness? Are there different types, brands or something? How exactly do you measure it? Do you measure the sheer number of experiences of pleasure? But then, you know, there's more to happiness than just kind of feeling good emotionally or physically, right? Is it by kind of reported levels of life satisfaction uh, adjusted for statistical accuracy or something? Is that the best way to measure real joy? And anyway, is optimal happiness, whatever that is, and life satisfaction, however you measure it, is that the surefire way to discover the good life? There's a famous saying from a philosopher, a utilitarian philosopher, John Stuart Mill. It goes like this. It's a bit ye olde, but you'll get the point. It is better to be a human being dissatisfied than a pig satisfied. It's better to be Socrates dissatisfied than a fool satisfied. And if the fool or the pig is of a different opinion than this, it's only because they only know their side of the question. There's something in that, I think, that we all kind of get on some intuitive level, that we go, I get it that being Socrates, that is wise philosopher, human, that is all the things that, that the potential for experience and thought and creation and, and achievement that humans have, there's something about that that is valuable, even if actually it's harder, more painful, more difficult than maybe an easier life. We kind of get a sense of that, that there's more to quality of life, ultimate meaning and satisfaction than feeling good all the time or most of the time. How do we get there? Is, is the solution bolstering self-esteem, limiting pain and suffering as much as possible, increasing wealth and education and pleasure? Oh, it's hard to know. It's not simple. Because it's easy to have heaps of that stuff, to be really educated, really wealthy, really um, uh, have, have a decent sense of self and, and uh, worthiness and, um, and yet feel empty and depressed and aimless and hollow. And on the other hand, it's possible to have a lot of really difficult circumstances in life and be unhealthy and poor and struggling in a bunch of ways and yet still feel some deeper sense of meaning. After all, whatever philosophies or methods or self-help or well-being we pursue, it's got to help us be ready for the fact uh, that we're not in control of our lives, not completely, and that all of us will face some elements of sickness and war and poverty and suffering and emotional or relationship difficulties. Those things are going to come our way in one way or another. We've got to be ready for it. You know, some of the great uh, philosophies and worldviews like Buddhism, Christianity, Stoicism talk a lot about that, don't they? The reality of suffering. A more modern uh, psychologist and popular YouTube intellectual, Jordan B. Peterson, speaks at length about these topics, about the need for realism, pessimism, Stoicism to live well. Or the philosopher and uh, popular intellectual founder of the School of Life, Alain de Botton, speaks openly about the importance of pessimism. He's got this great lecture which begins going, now um, this lecture tonight will be disappointing to you. It'll be grim, won't meet your expectations. It'll speak about the fact that we'll all in the end return to dust. Many of our achievements will go uh, unaccomplished. There'll be many disappointments and ravages. Welcome along this evening, you know. Um, but again, he says that there's something about being ready for that and living with that that is crucial to real, resilient well-being. More, it seems that, that if we chase after feeling happy too much and fixate on feeling better too much, it can be a little bit like the more we chase it, the harder it is to grab a hold of. There's a famous um, recent psychology book called The Happiness Trap, which, well, there you go, by the title, it's warning about that, warning about the trap of chasing happiness and how that can actually fuel dissatisfaction, uh, uh, lack of contentment, sadness, disappointment, and instead actually recognising the ups and downs of life, recognising your feelings, even the bad ones, and kind of living around them is a far better path. 
there was another TED talk I listened to about con contentment research, and they, they found that actually um, having to deal with some degree of constraints and limitations to our freedom and our options, our brain and our experience actually copes with that and learns to be content with what we do have. Apparently they did some of this research even with those with Alzheimer's who couldn't remember the choices that they were restricted in the past. Their brains had still somehow adjusted, even though their memory wasn't there, to be able to make, uh, make a better light of their circumstances and limitations. So then, that's just some of the muddle of happyology. That's why we're spending a whole semester thinking about happyology. Because it's not an easy question. Tonight's kind of an introductory, sermony, lectury thing on the theme, the good life. And then in the coming weeks, uh, come back and, and let others know and bring them along and join in with us. We're going to look at suffering well, mental illness, creativity, being yourself, being with others. Also at the breakfasts that were mentioned before, um, we'll, we'll look at actual individual books of the Bible and see, particularly these books in the, in the middle of the Bible, old, old books, before Jesus came to earth, um, uh, they're called the wisdom literature. It's a cool name, isn't it? The wisdom literature. So grow a beard for those one, fellas. Um, wise beard. Um, and, uh, and, and we'll look at uh, the story of Job, uh, the collection of Proverbs, the collection of Psalms, and this weird book, weird book called Ecclesiastes. Maybe you've never come across that one before. It's strange. So, we'd love to have you join us at these public events, the citywide gatherings, the breakfast sessions. We've got the little postcardy thing you can grab or on our website and you can, um, you can whack those in your, in your calendar or stick it up on your fridge, plan ahead. Some of the dates may shift later on in the semester, so just kind of watch your email and your um, Facebook and stuff to keep, keep up to date to any changes that might happen a little later on. But we'd love to have you join us and, and we will be planning to stream these as well on Facebook Live if you can't make it in person and put them up on our website and podcast so you can dive in, take a deep dive with us in, um, in happyology and hopefully then be living it out too, exploring what it means and exploring what it means to think about all this as a Christian. What does being a Christian have to do with this? Is, does Christianity have anything to do with being happy or not? Does Christianity have anything better to say about being happy or not? And in a way, maybe for some of you investigating or thinking about Christianity for yourself, maybe actually by looking in to see Christians thinking about this topic, it'll actually also help you think about Christianity in general. A kind of an interesting way in to kind of walking around in the Christian, Christian land. <laughs> what does that look like? Because it's an issue for Christians too, isn't it, actually? Christians wrestle with all this. It's not like we go, oh, yeah, there goes Mikey. He was being all relevant, but you don't need to be relevant for me because the answer's always Jesus, and so it's all fine. You know, I always feel... It doesn't matter if I feel happy or not. That's not the question. The question's answer's always Jesus. So, you know, do I feel happy or not? Jesus. You know, how do I cope with suffering? Jesus. What's life all about? Jesus. I'm fine. <laughs> but, but actually, in your experience, if you're willing to let yourself be honest about your individual experience, you do feel all that kind of stuff, surely. And maybe you feel it in a particular Christian-y way too, right? Here's a book, um, Serving Without Sinking, where an English author, John Hindley, describes this. Maybe you can relate to this if you've grown up heavily involved with church. He says, when we come to Jesus, sometimes he actually seems to increase our burdens, if Jesus really, finally is ultimately about offering us rest, then it seems strange he would add to our weariness now. Yet that's often how it feels. Have you ever got to the end of the week and wished you had two days to do whatever you wanted? Have you ever thought about how nice it would be and to sleep in twice on the weekend? Have you ever envied co-workers who lie on a beach when you're off to help at some Christian camp for teenagers? Or totaled up your giving over the year and then thought, as you begin your staycation, stuck at home, where you could have gone. You like that one? Staycation instead of vacation? You think about where you could have gone. Another one like that is floor drobe. <laughs> when you don't really put your clothes away, you just dump them on the floor. Well, put them away in my floor drobe. 
Um, uh, you, you could have gone uh, where you could have gone if you'd spent the money on you rather than on all these other Christian things. Sometimes Christians wonder, actually, when they're honest, are we missing out by living God's way? If I get too zealous for Christian stuff, will I live a less fulfilling life? If I really obey God's word for my life, will I be miserable, suppressed, suffocated? Is, is that just kind of part of taking up your cross and following Jesus? The sacrifice of following Jesus is being a little bit dismal until he comes back? Well, tonight then, with the time we have together, I want to show you that ultimately it's our creator God who determines what's truly good and it's our creator God who can tell us how to live a life as we were created to live with ultimate purpose and meaning and much joy in its right place. I want to say that actually dying to yourself, putting Christ first, trusting in him, living his way towards his ultimate hope is the best way to live life. It's really good because it's really real and it's really worth it and it's really true. First then, living God's way is really good because it's really real. In the end, I want to insist to you, I'm going to put this out, you're at a Christian event and so here's the Christian take, it's better to live in reality than in a fantasy. It's better to live in the world the way it really is even if that's harder in some ways, because it's real. It's not kind of ignoring the truth and making up a world that kind of makes you feel better. I don't know if you've seen that show WandaVision, you know, living in some world that's the world you'd like to be in. It's not ignoring the bad bits and thinking you can somehow preserve only the good bits. What is a biblical vision of life? Well, we saw it read for us, 1 Corinthians 15 by Ellie that there is a description of what God has done. You might want to open that up on your phone or if you have a paper Bible in 1 Corinthians 15, it begins by saying, here's what's central to Christianity. The thing that reminds you of the gospel that Christians preach, that Christians receive, that Christians stand on, that saves them, that they hold on to. That's what they believe in and this is it. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and he appeared to the apostles. And the significance of this, him dying for our sins and rising again in history, is unpacked a little later on as as Ellie read for us in verse 20. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died, fallen asleep. Death came through a man when the first humans rebelled against God and now life from the dead, resurrection from the dead comes through the saviour Jesus Christ. As in Adam, all of us die, but in Christ, all of us will be made alive. Christ first, then when he comes, all those who belong to Jesus, and then the end will come, and he'll defeat death itself. And the passage ends in a beautiful description of that hope, that that when the end finally comes and all God's purposes wrap up, this mystery in verse 51 is described for us, a mystery that's been revealed, that we won't all die, we won't all sleep, but we will all be transformed in a flash, in a twinkling of eye, at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we'll all be changed. The perishable will clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, and when the perishable has clothed itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written in the scriptures will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Verse 57 says, Thanks be to God. He gives us victory over death and sin through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore now, verse 58 says, Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to God's work, the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Our Creator has come into the world in Jesus as our Saviour remove sin and guilt and shame and death and judgment to give a new life for the human race and for the world a sure hope for an eternal future that means I can live for him and his purposes and live for things that are therefore not in vain not in the end all for nothing that's the story of all things that God gives us in in scripture. That's the Christian view of life. The Lord of reality that we shape our lives around and put our hope in. I have a purpose. 
Life's going somewhere. There's someone to live for, and the sharing of his wonderful news is something to live for. Living his way is something to live for. There's a famous quote by um, Martin Luther King Jr. that goes like this. There are some things so dear, something so precious, something so eternally true that they're worth dying for. And he goes on to say, I submit to you that if a man hasn't discovered something he'll die for, he's not fit to live. Another way of saying the same thing could be, it's hard to know what's worth living for if you don't have something worth dying for. It's not all for nothing if this Christian message is true. If you suffer as a Christian or go without as a Christian, living for God, for his purposes, for his way, you're not ruining the only life you have. You're living as a part of the ultimate purpose of all things. How amazing. Have you seen that movie, The Martian? There's a bit in that where the, um, the NASA astronaut stuck on Mars um, says, uh, you know, if I don't make it back, here's what I want you to tell my parents. It's a great quote. He says, please tell my parents that I love what I do and I'm really good at it. Please tell my parents that I'm dying for something big and beautiful and greater than me. Tell them that I said I can live with that. Matt Damon does it better, but... Big and beautiful and greater than me. I can live with that. What a wonderful way to look back at your life. It was sweet, but sometimes bitter. It was hard, but sometimes restful. Full of joy and sorrow, success and failure, heartbreak and bliss... But through it all, I lived for what is good, what is true, what, something bigger and better and more beautiful than even human race space exploration on Mars. Serving the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator, the saviour, the life giver. It's really real. It's worth living for. And it's really good. It's a blessing to know God in Jesus Christ. It's a blessing. But what is blessing? You know, it's a, it's a bit of a Christian word, isn't it? Bless you. Um, what, what, does, what do we mean when we say that? I mean, we even have weird sayings that I don't think any of us quite know. What, you know, like there's that prayer, God bless this food to my body. I don't even know what that prayer is praying exactly. Uh, is it just use the food to give me energy? Just say that. No, 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 it's blessed. It, or tra- traveling mercies is another one like that. I'm, I'm not quite sure what that involves exactly, but it sounds kind of good. <laughs> what is blessing? What is this thing we say so often? Bless you. Um, bless this food to our bodies. We pray for you many blessings. What, what? Some Bible translations, you know, when they try and turn the Bible from Greek and Hebrew into modern English, they go for happy. So Jesus' Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, happy are you, happy are you, the meek, the poor in spirit, that you will inherit the earth, happy. I belong. I think there's something a bit meatier to it than that. You know, most theologians go, yeah, you know, happy isn't quite it. That's not quite on the money. It's a bit more than what you could call positive affect, feeling cheerful. Rather, what the Bible talks about when it means blessing what it tries to capture with this word we translate in English as blessing is this full package of uh, the relationship that makes that blessing possible with God. The many particular blessings that God gives us, the ability to enjoy those blessings, and blessings that truly last. That is, lots of little individual things really are blessings. So you could say, you know what, I'm feeling real blessed right now. Hashtag blessed, hashtag thankful. Something like that. I'm feeling really blessed. Why are you feeling really blessed? Because toast. I just love toast. (laughs) Toast with Vegemite or jam or crunchy peanut butter, whatever it is. Just feeling blessed. Feeling blessed with my toast and my cat. You know. Um, Toast blessing. Toast life. You know. And you know what? Yes. God giving you your daily bread, enjoying the simple pleasures of life. He created you to be able to take pleasure in your eating and in the beauty of his world, including your cat. I don't know if your cat is beautiful or not, but at least you think it is, don't you? Um, Your cat doesn't care about you really one way or the other. (laughs) Um, 
uh, <laughs> there's, there's, there's simple individual blessings of all sorts. Good health, beautiful sunshine, enjoyable food, uh, a life together with the lover you've given yourself to, success, learning, knowledge, a good movie, whatever it is. There are blessings that God blesses us with, all sorts of things. And actually the Bible also speaks, of course, rightly so, about the fact that the ability to enjoy the blessings we have is another blessing. It's possible to have everything and yet no delight in it. I mentioned that weird book, Ecclesiastes. It is a weird book. Um, in that, it speaks about that trouble that comes upon the wealthy one who works so hard and gains so much and then says, huh, what was I striving for? What's the point? That he says it's actually better to have little and satisfaction than much and just sorrow and chasing after the wind. You know what that's like, don't you? You know what that can be like to just go, actually, I've got a lot and I just feel kind of cold, numb, dead. It's a horrible, it's an awful thing about the experience of depression, isn't it? That kind of weird sort of pain and numbness. Um, even you know, loneliness and detachment in a group of friends and laughter. Um, uh, numbness in the midst of pleasures. It just feels like you're just shoveling into them, some bottomless pit. It's a wonderful thing to not only have good stuff like toast, but be able to be thankful for it, enjoy it, take pleasure from it. Some of you may have heard of a theologian called John Piper, and one of the things he's rightly most famous for is actually telling Christians the fact that it's okay to find pleasure in things. He, he wrote a book called Desiring God, another called The Pleasures of God, and then basically a whole lot of other books that are just versions of that over and over again. Um, and in that, he points out in an old Christian catechism thing called the Westminster Confession, a shorter catechism, the question is asked, what is the purpose of life? What's the chief end of man in 17th century ease? What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? What's the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end, the meaning of life is... To glorify God, wait, and enjoy him forever. And he just points that out. It's there. I mean, you find it all through scripture too. Rejoice in the Lord, take delight in him. It's a pleasurable thing. It's a delightful thing. And all the other things, the pleasurable things, the delightful things. In fact, you know there's even a sexy poem in the Bible going on and on. I mean, in weird old kind of... Old, ancient ways about breasts being like goats and fawns and teeth being like sheep and things. That's a bit odd to us. Um, but it's even delighting in the pleasures of physical intimacy and sex and romance. That enjoying things, delighting in God, delighting in his good gifts is a good thing. Good gifts, being able to enjoy them. But then gifts that last is one of the big things the Bible makes much of. You know how in that Corinthians bit we finished with, your labour in the Lord is not in vain. It's not pointless in the end. It doesn't just come to nothing. Uh, it's a lot of the Psalms are like this. They talk about not just those who are mighty or wealthy or strong for a time and then fade away, but those who trust in the Lord, who endure, who live, who see the light of life, who are rescued from the pit and from death and so on and on and on. Ultimately, the eternal life that Jesus gives us is the, the, the hope of not just good things, enjoying good things, but them lasting. But finally, the thing that ties it all together is the relationship with the God who gives it all. The ultimate blessing and the centre of all those other blessings, the giver of them and the one who gives uh, coherence to all of them is relationship with God. Often the Psalms, again, these songs, celebrate how God himself is the greatest joy and pleasure. Here's um, Psalm 16 verse 2. Psalm 16 verse 2. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Or well, Psalm 62, Psalm 62 and verse 3. How long will you assault a man? Would all you throw him down the, the leaning wall? That, oh no, that's verse 60, Psalm 62, Psalm 63. 
Yeah, 62. Um, a little tottering fence. They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They that take delight in lies with their mouths, they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He is the one ultimately I take pleasure in. I put my hope in. I rest in. He's not just the giver of all good gifts, but he himself and relationship, intimacy, peace with him is the greatest gift of all. He's the first pleasure to delight in and the source of all true satisfaction, the one who makes it last. True blessing then. When, when a Christian says blessing ultimately, what they speak of then is this full package, peace with God, the ability to enjoy all the good things he gives in a lasting way. Now, in practice, as I enjoy that life of blessing in this life, there may be many times of pain and difficulty and striving and suffering and grief and turmoil, but I know God, he gives good things and he will hang on to me and he has a purpose that ends in blessing, peace with God, enjoying good things that he gives forever and ever. So then let's speak about that blessing in the Christian life in particular. So we looked at the fact that it's really real, we looked at definition of blessing. But what does it look like now for a Christian? Knowing this stuff is all real. Knowing what blessing is. What does it look like if you're a Christian? What would it look like if you became a Christian? Well, firstly, what a Christian knows is that all of those things come, relationship with God, peace with God comes through Jesus, his death on our behalf and his life opening the door to eternal life. Jesus didn't just suffer like any old person suffered, even a great one. He suffered on my behalf as a sacrifice for my guilt and the punishment I deserve. Not just physical suffering on the cross, not just social suffering of oppression, but he took the anger of God against our injustice. Our king suffered in our place to bring the blessing of forgiveness, of reconciliation with God. He rose again in our place, opening the door to a life that begins now, a life with God once more. And the hope of that life when we rise too to live with him forever. However, now, in this age, in this life, just like Jesus suffered, we actually start to follow that pattern ourselves. We take up the cross we continue to live in a world of difficulty. We share in suffering now. I, I rest in a peaceful relationship with God and I look forward to the hope to come as I persevere now. That means sometimes in this life I suffer. but I, I don't expect always to have all the good blessings, all the riches, all the health, all the wealth, all the success. Sometimes in this life I suffer, but I know I've got peace with God and I know I've got a hope to come. But we've got to say an extra thing. It's not as if like Christians therefore never get any good stuff. You know, why can't Christians have good things? <laughs> well, Christians do still enjoy blessings, even as we... Follow Jesus, the crucified saviour. He enjoyed good things, didn't he? Meals with friends, friendships, rest, joy in the Lord and his life on earth and so on. Christians can still enjoy good gifts in our lives. God can give us both spiritual blessings, emotional joys, material blessings. In fact, Jesus' prayer that he taught his disciples to pray doesn't just pray for the kingdom to come and forgiveness of sins and protection from the devil, but what does it pray for? Give us today our daily bread. Feed us. Provide for us. Look after us. Christians do get good gifts from God, both physical and spiritual and emotional. It's true that we aren't promised by God now that if you come to Jesus and you really believe in Jesus, you will have victory over poverty and victory over sickness and victory over trouble and victory over mental illness. Not always, no. Not in this life, no. That's not true. But God does still hear and answer prayers. And the blessing I have in God and Jesus is so good and the hope I have in God and Jesus is so sure that when I have any blessing or any joy of any kind... 
I'm getting a taste of what one day will be. And when I suffer and do without, then I go, yeah, this world is broken, it's fallen, it's passing away. And that pushes me again to hope and look ahead. When I enjoy good things, I recognise this world is broken and God will one day fix it, but here's a taste of the good that one day will blossom. A Christian philosopher named Charles Taylor says this about Christian approach to difficulty. He says, the difference between Stoic suffering, or you could say Buddhist suffering, and Christian suffering, Stoic doing without, renunciation, and Christian doing without, renunciation, is for the Stoic, and you could say for the Buddhist, the things that you do without don't really matter. They're not ultimately valuable. Yeah? If it, it's not really part of the good. You shed yourself of worldly pleasure. Whereas for the Christian, if we suffer now, do without now, sacrifice now, what we actually do when we suffer, when we do without, when we sacrifice, is we say, this is a good thing that I'm doing without now. I'm suffering a pain that's sad because I'm missing out on a good thing that I'll do without for now. So you see the difference there? We're not saying shed yourself of all this worldly stuff that doesn't matter. We're saying for a season there are things that might matter more that I'll lay aside things that still are good. In that sense, Christian sacrifice is meaningful because we are literally doing without things that we literally think are actually good. It affirms the goodness of health, freedom and life. Christian sacrifice paradoxically affirms the goodness of life. In the Christian perspective, he says, the loss is a breach in the integrity of the good. And it's our end time perspective that looks forward to that integrity being restored. You notice it all through the stories Jesus tells where when he tells about suffering, he always follows it up with blessing to come. You might do without now, but I'll tell you what, there's blessing to come. You might uh, suffer now, but I'll tell you what, there's blessing to come. Hang in there. So then, let me say this. If you've been with me so far, if you follow what I've been saying, let me put this into practical terms for how we think about life this year. Happyology. I want to encourage you not to give in to that kind of deep envy for the pleasure seeker, the person living just for pleasure and happy buzzes and vibes. Don't give in to envy. The blessed life, I've been saying, trying to unpack from the Christian scriptures, the true blessed life is serving the Lord and knowing the Lord and saved in the Lord and the hope in the Lord. There's no better life out there. That's the good life. That's the really, real good life. You're not missing out on something, not anything of substance. In the real world of real reality, as it actually is, this is the best option. Christians, if you're saying, I believe and know this to be true, really true, then Christians, you need to kind of repent of entertaining that sort of twisted envy that kind of says, oh, you know, look over the fence at the party going on. And, and you kind of think, uh, oh, you know, if I weren't a Christian, I'd be having such fun. But oh well, I'm a Christian. Really? Would life really be better lived for nothing more than holidays, materialism, selfish desire? Is the pleasure seeker life really the better life? Really? Living for nothing greater or grander or more valuable than pleasure, experience, power, ambition, achievement. Nothing more tacky than fame and accolades in the eyes of the world. Is it not a kind of wretched despair that says, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die? To actually turn away from a selfish sinful, godless self and to turn, pull down the kind of superstitions and little fake gods that we make for ourselves and to worship the true living God, the creator God, the saviour God, is a better way to live, realer and better. 
The Apostle Peter, in his letter, speaks about the empty way of life handed down to us by our forefathers. Or the Apostle Paul, in one of his letters to the Romans, says, um, uh, what did you gain at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Renouncing a life of mere pleasure-seeking, living without God, is a path to true freedom in the end. And look, let's be honest. No matter which way you live, which path you live, what freedom you pursue, you're going to suffer. Let's be honest. There's not some life there out there of freedom and liberation that is all just roses. Everyone, Christians, non-Christians, Buddhists, liberals, progressives, conservatives, slow livers, fast livers, workaholics, you know, work-life balancers, stand-up paddle boarders, whatever you like. Everyone will have to face the troubles of temptations and sins, moral failure, sickness, and ultimately death. Everyone suffers in this world. The rich and the beautiful ones even struggle and experience deep tragedies. All of us, everyone we love, will one day return to the dust. In that sense, envying the world is naive. The wise learn to number their days know that they may come to 70 years, 80 the most. I guess these days we could say 100 more if our strength endures. A Christian, because they know the world is broken and will one day be mended, can expect suffering and evil and not be caught by surprise. Oh, oh my goodness, people are bad. Oh, who would have thought? Oh dear, sick cancer, that doesn't happen, does it? That's not real. We can go, yeah, look, let's be honest, let's face the disappointments, the betrayals, the fears of the world. And we can learn to live well in the world and manage those things without an obsession to fix them all. Because tragically, sometimes a, a desperate attempt to fix everything can lead to despair where a steady realism can go the distance. I want to say to you guys, living this way, living knowing God, making peace with your creator, knowing the hope he's got for you is is really worth it. Let me close by saying that too, by rubbing that in for you, shall I? There's a wonderful secret in this, that living for Jesus Christ in the light of his return and orienting my whole life around that, turning away from just the short-term pleasure or joy or ambition is not giving up good stuff for what's right, it's that, but it's actually finding the best way to live, the true way, the real way, that full package of blessing. And it's really worth it. It ends in blessing. It ends with God and all his goodness and all his blessings and all his joys and all the sin dealt with and the guilt wiped away and all things made new. A great well done, good and faithful servant for all of us as we crawl towards glory. Our Lord is interested in our good, not merely our obedience. And as you discover those truths in your life, brothers and sisters, friends, visitors, guests, whoever you are, as you discover those truths and say, yes, I believe that, you've got to keep rubbing that in to your mind and your heart and your imagination. Stir yourself to see the world the way God sees it, that it's good to be a Christian, to belong to Jesus, to follow Jesus. It's good to live a full, devout, zealous, all-in, passionate Christian life. That's the way to get the most out of life in reality, for eternity. It's a good way, if you get married one day, to love your spouse and live your lives together. It's good if you have kids one day, or uh, nieces and nephews and honorary nieces and nephews. It's the best way to raise kids and give them what really is worth having. It's the best way to live well. 
to live a life that matters. Yeah, it's going to be hard, it's going to be painful at times. But the climax, as we read in 1 Corinthians, when the last trumpet sounds, when the perishable clothes itself in the imperishable, death swallowed up in victory, it won't be in vain. It won't be like, oh, what was it all for? It'll be, of course. It'll be finally. It'll be, I made it. If you've grown up in a Christian family and never gotten real with God, this might be the night to do that. This might be the moment for you. I mean, why not? If you know it all, it's right there. What have you been waiting for? It might be right now the time to put your trust, your trust, you, yourself, between you and God, put your trust in him and all he's done for you. Maybe you're not a Christian. You're new to these things. You've got a long way before you jump in like that. Well, we'd love you to come on the journey with us. You could come along to the breakfast sessions next Tuesday morning. That'll be a journey, getting here at 7.30 in the morning. Don't worry, we'll have coffee. And if you really look quite ruined, we won't, we won't stare. <laughs> um, we'd love you. Or come back here, the next citywide gathering on the 25th of March. I mean, you could fast track, you could come along and visit a church like this one here on a regular Sunday or listen to our backlog. You can see some of the different topics we've covered around the room. There's one we did on the topic of identity that kind of is related to these sorts of themes and we even looked at Ecclesiastes that I've mentioned a couple of times. And uh, and if you like the idea of something that sounds weird and grim, then um, Ecclesiastes might be for you. But yeah, Christianity 1A, that, that was the other thing I'd mentioned, didn't I, early in the night. That was a great way to find out about Christianity and for yourself and just read it and think about it, talk about it. And so you could sign up for that through the QR code or slow sign up in person if you prefer. We'd love to chat with you. We'd love to talk more about these things. It really matters. I'll finish there, shall I? How about I say a brief prayer? Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for these good things, for the blessing, the blessing of knowing you, peace with you through our Lord Jesus Christ for the many simple blessings to the grand blessings the blessing of enjoying your blessings and the sure hope to come help us treasure these things live with our lives oriented around them and you know everyone here you know those who really might be at the point of actually personally trusting in you Enable them to do that by your Holy Spirit and his power. You know others here who are a long way from that, who may be half smirking through this whole time, but are still curious. Help them to find what is true and what is good, we ask. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Marky. Thank you. For that awesome sermon. Can we sit down? Um, Well, I'll have you to stand here just for a second. Um, We've got a brief moment for a bit of a QA and a if any of you guys have questions burning from that talk you've just heard. Yep. Um, But what we'll do really quickly first is I'll give you a minute and a half, and you might have an extra 10 seconds here or there, um, to get up, shake yourself out, go to the toilet, um, and have a think of some questions. If you want to, there's a number up on the screen you can text them to, or we'll have a mic going around the room. I'll give you a minute, two minutes now to jump up. Oh, two minutes now. Some stuff. Two oh. minutes. Oh, I'm a generous man. I'm a generous man. Um, cool.
everyone. Thank you very much for your patience there. We might just bring it back in. Um, we haven't got a whole lot of time for you guys. There is a taco taco truck waiting outside, which we'll have to get straight to after this. But before that, um, I thought I'd just ask the floor, are there any questions that people have from that sermon we heard tonight? Any questions from the floor? Roving mic. David, hang on, I'll run up and I'll give you the mic. Um, you mentioned uh, philosophers' take on the idea that somebody can, should pursue sadness uh, beyond happiness because it's better for you. What would you say to somebody who would come up to you as, I'd prefer to be the pig, and actually, I want to, you know, the classic Matrix line, ignorance is bliss. case tonight that, that I want to say it's better to live in reality with what is real and what is true and in part I'm, I'm appealing to an intuitive sense that I'd say we have that that is right that you've got to work to really fully embrace ignorance is bliss that that's in a sense you've got to shout that quite loudly and repeat it quite often to maintain it yeah so, so I guess that would be the thing I'd push for and, and especially as that project fails, um, and as you discover, hang on a second, I've got a heaps more existential turmoil than I assume a pig has, and I'm having a pretty rough life as this human wannabe pig. What do I do then? What do I do then? Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of that, so that famous, famous line, spider pig, spider pig, does whatever a spider pig does. Yes. Okay. Question. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um... I was just going to ask. I was going to ask what the meaning of life was. Um, yeah, what the meaning of life was. Yeah. So I, I think that summary that I quoted from the Westminster Shorter Catechism is pretty good. That it is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I think that's a good way of describing it. That God in Himself is one who is self-existent, but also valuable in Himself, and so all other value and meaning derives. From him, so to, to know and be aligned with him, which is what glorify is trying to capture, um, and then to live a life then in in both alignment and also experience of that goodness, enjoy him forever, captures that. What does it mean to enjoy God? <laughs> yeah, I, I, th I think it's got to do with. I mean, how do humans enjoy things? Um, I think humans have, uh, you know, like in the case of ice cream, it's, it's physical sensations of flavour and taste. But then emotions bring with them, human emotions bring with them their own physical sensations. And so it is true that um, we can, as we contemplate God's love, God's mercy, the, all the other things like ice creams, toast and the walls of Jerusalem or whatever it is, um, all of those things, like the night sky, um, uh, all generate feelings that we actually then say, hey, and these are things made by God. Wow. Yeah, so, so and, and, and that's, a, that's an extra thing. That there's a sense in which thankfulness and appreciation enhances pleasure. Um, and so actually, not only to be able to say thanks vaguely to the universe, but actually to be genuinely thankful to the one who made it all enhances the pleasure even more. But then there's a deeper sense in which humans as spiritual beings have this weird, intangible thing that that means that a human, in the midst of emotionally, physically feeling terrible, can still speak of some kind of unspeakable joy, which isn't happiness, because actually all my emotions and the scans on my brain might show that actually I'm really rough, but I say there's almost like a, a joy or a peace outside of me. And so I'd say that's the spiritual dimension of enjoying God, where it's, it's actually communion with God in his being. Hmm. We might take one more from the floor. Um, what if I'm scared that I won't get these like earthly joys? You talked about them before, yeah. um, like this thing to look forward to in heaven. But sometimes I feel kind of bad that my f my friends are doing something, and I feel like I shouldn't be doing it. What if I'm scared that I don't think like I'll ever be able to, I guess, do what they're doing? Yeah, it's a great question. And look, the reality is that. Um, uh, because this world is full of good things but also full of disappointments, it sometimes will be a bit of both. 
you know, sometimes we've got to say, yeah, you know what, the thing I really hoped for, that it was a good thing, I, you might miss out on, you know, across your whole life, and that, that's an awful thought. Um, uh, or you might get it, and that's a wonderful thought. You know, so, so we've got to, in a sense, the what if is, yeah, that's right, that's the uncertainty and the ambiguity and the anxiety that you just live with, that's life. You want all the pleasures of being human and living in this world, you have those un uncertainties and stuff. So I guess on the one hand, I'd say, yeah, that, that, that is, that's fine to feel that. It's fine to long for some things um, and feel sad about missing out on other things. Going on that roller coaster as a Christian doesn't make you worldly or sinful or, or something. Um, but then that bigger picture that we have both means when we have the joys we want, we have them, with, like I was saying before Jed, with thankfulness to the God. That I'm, I'm actually enjoying this thing as a gift from God. It makes it even sweeter. And when I miss out on those things, if the worst happens, if you fail everything and you never get a house and you lose all your... If the worst, whatever you could imagine is the worst happens, and the worst does happen, the thought that in the middle of that you can still say, I know my Redeemer, I know my Lord, I know my Saviour. I mean, we see a lot of this in Job on Tuesday. Job rants and raves for pages and pages and pages and pages in misery and despair and doubt and frustration and yet still he holds on to his, his faith and trust in God through it. So God can say, my servant Job spoke what was right about me, which is really interesting. So, so that's, that's the cool reassurance is if the worst happens and your life truly genuinely sucks, you can still be able to say, but I know my saviour and I know he'll get me through it. That's, that is actually a great thing. Awesome. Thanks, Mikey. Um, this brings us to the end of...